Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Y'all, I have a confession to make. Easter stresses me out. And it is not just because of the busyness of Easter, and it's not because of the record numbers and some compulsive need to knock it out of the park today. The problem is this whole resurrection thing. That's what stresses me out. Y'all, resurrection is a hard sell. I mean, it's hard for me to get my head around. One minute, the resurrection is this incredible miracle that inspires me to live full and free. And then the next minute, I think, well, that's a neat theory, but it's not natural. It's not, and it's not necessarily a comfort either. I mean, just take the women who were at the tomb. They were terrified. Can you imagine coming to a tomb early in the morning when it's still dark, expecting to find it securely closed, to sit nearby with a friend of yours, maybe you're expecting to have a good, long, healing cry, mourning the loss of the one you loved, when suddenly, the earth begins to tremble. There are these crazy lights shooting out. The tomb's stone rolls open. And there are these celestial beings telling you, go ahead, take a look. I mean, I would be terrified. The guards were so scared they couldn't move. Now, in Matthew's gospel, it says that the women's fear pretty quickly turned to joy. And they fled to go tell the disciples the good news. And when they did... Jesus even made a personal appearance, which further transformed their fear into joy. But Mark's gospel, Mark tells the story a little bit differently. The earliest account of the resurrection shows the women at the tomb fleeing in terror. It says in that gospel that they never even told anybody what happened. According to Mark, they were so scared, no one ever even heard the good news. They claimed the Roman government and the religious officials, they said that there wasn't an empty tomb at all, that he wasn't raised at all. They claimed that some of Jesus' disciples stole the body from the tomb and then fabricated resurrection sightings so that they could claim he'd been risen from the dead. I mean, we think we have problems with fake news these days. Can you imagine trying to, trying to take that headline in? I mean, even if you were a religious person, I mean, in the Jewish faith, there was heated debate about whether or not there was an afterlife. The Pharisees believed firmly in an afterlife. The Sadducees, they didn't believe in an afterlife or even the existence of the soul. So while all of the fact checkers agreed that the tomb was in fact empty, there is a lot hanging on the interpretation of that empty tomb, politically, religiously, and for those who knew Jesus personally, emotionally. I have another uh, confession to make. Our Lenten sermon series, Roll Down Justice, it was 
I've debated back and forth between describing it as uncomfortable or transformational for me. Maybe it was both. As we've reflected on the baptism and on exactly what it is that we claim and exactly what we promise, what we commit ourselves to in baptism, I've had to face some hard truths about myself. I've been confronted with the gap that there is between who we're called to be and what we're called to do and the way that I actually live. We talked about how we affirm that in our baptism, God creates and claims and loves each and every one of us and that as those who claim Christ, we're called to be agents of salvation. We are incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation. That's what we say. And then we go on to promise that we will renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of our sin. Renounce, reject, repent. We are to stand up to to speak out against and to turn our backs on all that is not of God. And as those who say that we follow Christ, that's just our starting point. As agents of salvation, we are called to work together with God to usher in this new Jerusalem, this place where there will be no gap between who God creates us to be and how we live and treat each other. In God's kingdom, in the new Jerusalem, peace reigns. And it's a peace that is not possible without justice, rolling down like water, raining heaven on earth. And I have to confess, I'm not there. But that's not the hard truth that I had to face. The hard truth is this, there is a gap because I lack faith. There's this line, and that line, it's a faith line. And I hesitate to cross it because, well, because of a lot of things, but primarily it's dark over there. I can't see really at all on the other side of that line. I mean, it's like peering into a dark, empty tomb at first light. It's terrifying. I mean, who knows what's going to happen if I step across it? What dangers lurk? I might get hurt. I mean, if I confront injustice, it might cost me something. I might have to give something up. I might have to share something that I would really much rather keep for myself or my family. Wealth, power, privilege. I mean, I might have to try to like people I don't understand. Or I might try to have to try to understand people that I don't like. And then what if the people who do like me are made uncomfortable when I act injustice and they get mad at me. And Lord help me if I make a mistake. This line 
It marks the limit of my faith, and fear keeps me from crossing it. Jeremiah is preaching to the people of Judah, and they have limits to their faith too. Over and over and over again, they have turned their backs on God. They've acted unjustly, they've taken advantage of or have just neglected those who are in need, or if they haven't actively marginalized others, then they have passively participated in systems, social and political and religious systems that perpetuate injustice. It's like that saying, I think you've probably all heard it. It says, all it takes for evil to reign is for one good person to do nothing. Sometimes that's me. Rather than continue to push against their own fear or cross their own line and trust God, the Israelites, they've turned to other gods. They've worshiped and made offerings and sacrifices to them. They've built idols and they've placed them right in the middle of God's temple. Rather than trust in God and who God called them to be, a light to the nations, they became like the nations. There is a huge gap between who God created and called the Israelites to be and how they're living. And that's why the resurrection is so hard for me to preach. I struggle to understand what the resurrection means for us today. I mean, why does it matter? Is it just about the afterlife? Or does it have anything at all to do with what happens to us in this lifetime? Does the resurrection have any meaning in light of the reality in which we live today? I wonder, how do we sell the resurrection to the father who can't feed his family because he's been out of work for way too long? How do we sell the resurrection and simultaneously deny refugees a home or tell a mother whose child is sick that she can't go to the doctor? How do you sell resurrection to a people who are denied justice because of the color of their skin? How does the church sell resurrection and at the same time exclude a whole group of people from full participation because of who they love? How do you sell resurrection to the mother who recently lost her child because a package bomb detonated in her front yard? There is a huge gap between who God creates and calls us to be and the reality in which we live. Wow, this is the worst Easter sermon ever. <laughs> but hang on, because I kept thinking about it and I kept wrestling with it. And finally, it came to me. I had a realization. I thought, yeah, but what if there was no resurrection? What if Jesus had not been raised from the dead? What if that stone was rolled into place and that was the end of the story? And then it struck me, well, yeah, the resurrection matters. It matters a whole lot. 
And not just because we have hope in the next life, but it gives us hope in this life. And hope is powerful. It gives us strength. It gives us courage. Yes, God makes and has always made some very strong claims about who and whose we are. And God has always asked a lot because God has such confidence in God's claim. And there's always been a gap. At least since Adam and Eve ate that fruit, there has been a gap that seems impossible to span between who we are as God's beloveds and how we live. There is a limit that we hesitate to cross that marks the limits of our faith. But in the resurrection, there is one who can and who does cross it for us. Thanks be to God, God Jesus crosses that threshold for us. And, and through, and though at times we lose hope, God never does. At that time, says the Lord our God, to Israel, to us, when we have gone as far as we can go, when we have hit our limit, at that time, God says, you will be my people. I love you, God says, with a love that lasts forever, an unfailing love that will draw you to me. Then and now, God's people are reminded we are reminded that God makes a strong claim and a very high call, and God gives us the power and the freedom that we need to be exactly who God claims we are, agents of salvation. The power and freedom that are offered in God's unfailing love and new unbreakable covenant established in Jesus Christ. And to claim that power and freedom, we believe in the resurrection. That's why it matters. We claim faith in Christ resurrected in our baptism, not Christ dead and buried. And because in him sin and death are conquered, we don't have to be afraid to cross that line. We don't have to be afraid to step out in faith. We don't have to be afraid to be agents of salvation who usher in the new Jerusalem and live in peace by living justly. We don't have to be afraid of what we might have to give up or what we might have to share or who we might have to love. In Christ, because of the resurrection, we welcome and embrace all people, all of God's beloved children. You know, when the women at the tomb turned to run and tell the men about this wonderful good news, when they overcame their fear and crossed the limit of their faith, they immediately encountered Jesus. Jesus came to them. And in that encounter, their faith 
is strengthened and their confidence is bolstered so greatly that they're able to share the great good news so powerfully that it crosses the limits of space and time until everybody heard. And that makes me wonder, what if I confront my fear? What if I were to step across that limit of my faith? What if all of us were to cross the limits of our faith? We all have them. Every single person in this room, no matter how faithful you are or have been, have heard a call that you have yet to answer. If we were all to cross the limits of our faith and proclaim this excellent good news in both word and deed, who might hear? If we were to cross that line, who might meet Jesus? I want you to think about it. Who needs to hear this message of resurrection? Who needs to know that they are a child of God, a part of a beloved community, a part of the answer to death, destruction, prejudice, violence, and oppression? How will you proclaim this great good news, not just today, but every day? We are Easter people, y'all. This is every day for us because the resurrection matters a lot. And thanks be to God, Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Amen.